Hello and welcome to the Psych Movie Minute Podcast. This is episode number 34, and this is just a brief uh, intro as one of your hosts, Joshua Blum, and because this particular episode was actually recorded for what seems like forever ago, it was actually recorded last year, because we recorded way out of order and some things from like, you know, like episode, it, it will be like 60 something or other we recorded first, just depending on people's availability. This is during the pandemic. We tried to squeeze in folks where we could. And so anyway, this was this was done a while ago. So uh, this is uh, Dr. Mariana Kasimian, who is a psychiatrist uh, in Rhode Island. And it's great to have her on. Uh, we actually trained together. Um, and uh, it's really great to be able to connect through this particular show. Uh, so this one is about, uh, as, as with all these episodes, uh, The Year of Spectacular Men, 2017. This particular topic is around a particular instance or sort of phenomenon around communication that comes up a lot in mental health, which is the idea of sort of like listening and hearing people and validation. And it's very almost counterintuitive because like often people will say like, I hear you. This has been like a thing, like people will say like, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of like racial stuff over the last uh, couple of years. Um, it's not like Chris Rock, there's like, you know, a lot, a lot of racial stuff going on. I think he said it a little bit more R-rated, but you know, like th- there is. And then, and one of the things that people will say to kind of make it seem like they are listening, that's like, I hear you. Or they'll maybe say like, I feel you or something like that, I don't know. So it has like a popular kind of like parlance, I guess, that, that idea. But I think a lot of times when people are listening, sometimes they're just listening for the ability to get in their own point of view. So it's it's kind of rare when 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 that actually does not necessarily happen, I think, in, I want to say this day and age. Uh, but it's probably always been that way. Uh, I think that we people have more like public ways of kind of like spouting their own opinions. That said, uh, it, it is nice when you can have a conversation with somebody and uh, they, it actually is a back and forth type of interaction, you know, call and response as opposed to sort of like two people just sort of talking at each other. And I think one of the areas of conflicts that sometimes come up with, say, like parents and children or sometimes between siblings or friends uh, or in relationships is this idea of like two, two ships kind of floating in the night and almost like parallel play they're also missing each other because they're not actually you know being present for the other person and kind of like taking in what they're actually trying to say so that's what this particular episode is about and so i'm going to cut away to the uh to the interview and uh thanks so much for listening mariana thanks so much for your patience and thank you for coming on we'll talk to you guys soon Welcome to the Psych Movie Minute Podcast, and I'm your host, Joshua Plum, and today I have a special guest, Dr. Mariana Kasimian, and welcome. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're actually just uh, catching up. We had actually met back in Rhode Island, which is a quality state. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We miss you. Yeah, well, we miss Rhode Island. Uh, Yeah many things and we're here and we're gathered here today today uh to talk about the 2017 movie the year spectacular men as we have been for the past this is episode number 34 so past 33 episodes for all you math majors we're going to be talking we're going to be as as before we're going to be watching the minute uh this 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 uh this this next minute 33 into 34 and talking about a mental health topic that is uh, brought up by it. But before we do that, why don't, uh, so uh, Mari, you wanna tell us a little bit about who you are? 
Sure. So um, currently I am a um, psychiatrist in private practice, but I did spend um, three years at a young adult behavioral health clinic um, in Rhode Island through Lifespan Hospital where um, we did kind of treat primarily 18 to 24 year olds. Mm Um, so I really do enjoy working with that age group and kind of the show clusters around, you know, that age group and what right. they're going through and sure. how they're trying to discover themselves and, and intimate relationships, family relationships, the whole gamut. So I really did enjoy the movie as far as like from my own personal and professional point of view. Um, and then I left that job and now I'm in the private sector and I work with five other psychiatrists in um, a small office in Providence, Rhode Island. And I do tend to work with young adults, um, but I see the whole age range now. And um, I really do um, enjoy what I do. Which we we all should be so blessed, right? Yeah. (laughs) It is a bit of a forgotten age age range, I think, you know? I mean, one of the things I thought was really unique about this particular film was that not only is it is about uh, it's about a young woman, you know, who's in probably like maybe 21 or 22. Yeah. But it's also it was also written by someone at the time who was able to portray that view. Mm-hmm. So I feel like so often these these movies are written by someone who's a lot older. Yeah. And it's uh, not that that's necessarily problematic exactly, but it's not necessarily the same authenticity as someone who is of that age and, and knows what the struggles are firsthand. Kind of, I mean, you know, it's you just don't see very many films that are that have uh, a writer of that age, and I, I just don't think you have that many films that are written by women. Period. But that's a whole other whole other topic. But yeah, it's weird because you know we had both done training for children, right? Both done, you know, learn to work with adults first. Childhood supposedly ends at age eighteen, according to our like you know artificial system, and then. Mm-hmm you know, adulthood, you know, picks up after that. But we often, you know, with kids, you tend to see more of the younger kids and some teens. And then with adults, it tends to be folks in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Very rarely do you see folks in their 20s, that sort of young adult population, so. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of led my uh, mentor, Laura Whiteley, to create this clinic because it, she was worried that these 18 to 24 years were kind of being left behind, right? Mm -hmm. They would have to leave if they had prior mental health care, their child psychiatrist and kind of enter the realm of like adult psychiatry, which was so broad with such a wide age range. Um, And she felt like maybe we could capture some of these kids in a space that was inviting and a space that was catered to them. Right, right. um, Which would help them feel safe, right? Which is always our primary concern and secure to kind of share their struggles and continue getting care or start getting care. Because 18 to 24, you know, as you know, sometimes our major mental illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar, um, they can kind of cluster their first episode in that age range and so we wanted you know just to make sure we set up kind of like a safety net for those um college students or or young adults at that time yeah Uh, i know you still work with young adults and what are sort of the the struggles that you find that folks of this age range typically experience 
I mean, I think in very broad strokes, um, it's a very concentrated time where a lot of decisions need to be made. And these yeah. are like, there's a lot of pressure that these decisions, although I, we know looking at it from like our age and our, they're changeable, there's a lot sure. of options. There's a terms like we understand that, but like when you're in it, you just feel like, you know, every grade, every major you choose, every person you decide to date, you know, is this gonna be the thing, the one? Right it and it's heavy it's it's a heavy time um and then they're just trying to figure out how to separate from their family of origin Mm. and start their own like what i call like their family right their support system within the structure of sometimes college or higher ed which provides some structure but is not the same amount of structure right Right. as high school or living at home Um, and that comes with its own difficulties right not everyone we meet is going to be a good match how do we handle that how do we handle when we make choices that end up not working out so it's it's just a lot i I feel like they have this like three or four or five years of just like a lot of decisions that they need to make and they don't necessarily feel capable and then if you add mental illness on top of that right just another layer right or or a full course load or whatever yeah yeah definitely i mean uh you know people often say like oh those are the best years of your life and stuff like that right looking back like yeah yeah i and i have to say like i am so you know because i I, these are the folks that i see now these are my patients and yeah i'm so impressed like um by so many of them because I, i look back at you know like my own sort of wherewithal at age you know 20 or whatever it is and i feel like it's like man so many of these folks they have it so together even though they made it feel like they don't like i feel like i was a total idiot you know <laughs> you know i hear you they floor me every time like many many times i'm i'm very i admire them I yeah learn a lot from them too i mean i always I'm always advocating for kind of balanced and bi-directional relationships and sure. And, and, you know, I get that also in my work because I get to learn a lot from them as well. Yeah. You know, I guess for, for one of the things, um, just to frame this all, you know, so much of mental health care happens in, um, and it's based on verbal kinds of things, it's the, mm. sort of the patient being able to describe like what's going on with them and yeah. of course it doesn't always happen that way but like some of these some of the things that i think we sometimes expect you know uh, folks to be able to answer like i think back like would i have been able to answer this at <laughs> age like 18 or whatever i have no clue so i mean i'm very grateful to you know having gotten that training with learning how to work with much much younger yeah. kids because i don't i think if i had only learned to work with adults i just don't think I would have, I think I would have had different expectations, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. You know, like, I think there was very much a feeling in your adult kind of, in the adult world, whether it's adult psychiatry or adult internal medicine or whatever, that you are an adult, you have to act like an adult and you are, have certain expectations. If you're not doing that, then that is on you. Yes. I don't like that. It's kind of punitive, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's a judgmental kind of like, you know? Yeah, I know. Sometimes I even start my sessions like you, I am not your parent. I'm going to be very clear with you. (laughs) That is not my role. Um, Because I, and I think they expect that too, in some ways, like when they walk in that somehow 
you know, I think a running kind of phrase in my sessions are like, I don't have any Jedi mind tricks. Like I, because they want me, sometimes the pull is like, tell me what to do, predict the future. Like, is he right for me? Is she right for me? Like, I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) but we're going to get through this. (laughs) This one step out of time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And and it's interesting. I mean, I know this is really off topic, but um, how we overvalue kind of the the spoken word sometimes right. sure. um, in giving care, getting care, delivering care, all of those things is really, it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Actually, yeah. perfect segue in terms yeah. it is because Good we're- job, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so it, it is because we're going to be talking about just that in, in many ways. This is a particular minute where, um, so just to give you background, in this particular film, the main character Izzy is like, who's played by Madeline Deutsch, who's also, also the, the writer, the screenwriter of the film, did the score and a bunch of other things. But she plays the main character and she's a, um, she just graduated, you know, for all intents and purposes, she uh, is kind of lost in what she wants to do with her life and pretty depressed. And she's living with her younger sister, who's a fairly successful um, actress. Um, and uh, this is a segment where they're talking with each other. So I thought we would go ahead and just watch the minute and then we'll be back. So this is Izzy emerging. Season um, six, episode three. No, yes. She's a big I, X-Files fan. Episode three on season six of the X-Files, Mulder finally tells Scully that he loves her. But she doesn't hear him. Well, maybe she does hear him. You know, she doesn't absorb it or take it seriously or something. It just, it's its got me thinking how many times that happened in a person's life that you don't see what's directly in front of you, that you don't hear people. I guess I'm just wondering how you ever meet the right person. Maybe it's just luck. It's a shitty answer. (laughs) Maybe you have to be ready. They can't just walk right into your life and command you to pay attention. Maybe they already have. Maybe they already did like a thousand times. But like Scully, say I was listening, you weren't ready to see them yet. Okay. So... It gets to this idea of that sometimes we see what we want to see, sometimes we miss things that are right in front of us, sometimes what we don't necessarily need is answers, we need someone to actually hear us and listen to us, even if they don't have answers to give, so I don't know, what do you make of that uh, that particular little exchange there? Um, yeah, I think we've all been there. Yeah. I think that's the first part of it. It's very relatable. Um, I think acknowledging that we all need attention and care Mm -hmm. is really an important first step. I don't know how well we kind of just say to ourselves that those are things that we need. And Mm -hmm. so when they're, yeah, like they're just human needs. Yeah. (laughs) And so that feeling of feeling unacknowledged. Um, feeling missed and not seen, um, I think it's a really painful experience for many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, depending on the relationship, there's different types of pain that come with it. If it's a parent, a sibling, a partner. Right. But I do hear that with her that she just wants, or she feels like it hasn't happened yet. 
Mm -hmm. right? She hasn't really felt really understood or yeah. seen by, a, 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 it sounds like a love connection. Mm -hmm. um, but you wonder also if, if it stems from a, a history of not really feeling that way, even you know, yeah. in our family and in other yeah. arenas. Yeah, it's, you know, it's weird. I think one of the things that we often do in our work is that people will come in with something that, um, you know, that they have, you know, relationship problems or mm -hmm. they, something like that. I mean, it's, it's something that is in their life, but the, the real root cause of it is something that's, you know, goes way back and is, you know, how they were treated as a kid or the relationships they have with their parents or uh, the lack of a relationship or something like that yeah you know trauma or something like that that gets passed down between generations and um and they grew up with that kind of in that milieu and so um you you do wonder like uh uh in previous minutes we we learned about izzy's um previous boyfriend that she had lived with in new york who was uh, funny in some ways but must have been a nightmare to to live with mr maroon shirt um yeah mr and um uh, and then you you know we, we at this point in the movie we also know her father is uh, died but also died by suicide and um, you know, we wonder what kind of you know what was that relationship like and uh, you know what kind of relationship did she have with her her mother after that and with her sister after you know all these different things and kind of wonder like how that how that went and uh, how that must have you know, it was sort of a lonely feeling, you know, get from yeah. here. Um, and it, it brought up for me that I think something that we learn is if a parent is capable and available, their presence is such a important part, right, of kind of growth and healthy attachment and connection. And so to have a parent leave suddenly through suicide, and it is, you know, the male parent, that kind of initial connection, um how how it translates into her continuing to maybe choose men or stay with men that that don't really see her right, right. And, sure. and you know we i think there's like that that sense of like she has to stay but why does she have to stay right yeah. there's like even yeah. with my own shirt like it just yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. treat her well and he it didn't seem like she felt loved by him right, maybe right. wanted by him in some ways and so yeah. um but yeah i think we're we're all we all want to be seen right and kind of accepted for our who we are right right sure you know and so one of the things coming out of this minute is this idea of validation or invalidation i think is the the thing that people more often experience um, <laughs> I think it happens in so many different environments. Maybe a, a good thing in this past year, um, many more people have been more comfortable talking about invalidation that they've experienced in the workplace or things like that due to the color of their skin or their gender or things like that. Um, so it, it certainly happens. I mean, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I guess I always was kind of hoping that even within the field of medicine or specifically like psychiatry, there would be less of this because we're actually trained to like look for this. But yeah, <laughs> it's 
one of those complexities, like I always say. Yeah, yeah. Aren't we all walking contradictions? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, I agree that. And and even in my own life, I think sometimes I had to catch myself. Because I think, I don't know, I think the default is to kind of not invalidate like all the time, but to kind of, you know, challenge or, you know, bring up an alternative way to look at it. Right, yeah we could just <laughs> legitimize have someone's yeah. feeling right and, and right. not not feel like we have to fix it change it challenge it like we yeah. could just find what we can relate to or not even it's not even about us but just kind of reflect back on what they're experiencing like this looks really difficult for you you look really sad you know tell me more mm-hmm. sure yeah, and, and and the power that it has. I think that's what's always, that's what kind of still is so profound for me that I've recognized and through my work and the, being able to extend that validation, even if we can't understand why the person feels that way, really settles them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way that is 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 really wonderful, right? Their negative arousal, comes down if you can kind of say i see you yeah right (laughs) and i want to hear what's going on yeah i'm not here to you know i i'm not here to challenge it i'm not here to disagree with the way you feel right right right. yeah so so i think it is it's like a really important skill i think all of us could benefit from from nurturing if that makes sense yeah i mean it's like i feel like it's one of those things we talked a lot about obviously in our training and everything like that and but do you have thoughts about like how you go about cultivating that or or even say like cultivating that and say like your children yeah no it's a tough one yeah but i think what I generally try to do, and I got this, um, I might misquote it, but um, I have been reading a lot of um, RODBT. Mm-hmm. And a quote they say is, we don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. Mm. Yeah. And so I try to remember that. Like I try to be like, show some humility. Yeah. <laughs> and let my child or my pa- like they need to explain to me and I need to be able to listen and reflect back to them what I'm hearing mm-hmm. because that is what they are experiencing it's it, it and the way that I'm experiencing is the way that I'm looking at it it's from my own reality my own perspective my own life history and I don't have to put up against what they're seeing or hearing or take it personally sure um, and there's definitely some things like for all of us that I think are more activating than others because of all the things we go through in life. Right, right. And just for me, if I if I if I know there's like a whiff of that going like in the air for me, I just yeah. take more time. I think that's yeah. the other thing. Um, so I don't know if it's really concrete. I think there are definitely like phrases I, you know, can give to patients. Like I can see that you're, you know blank like wow you're you're really upset like just kind of stating what you see and then inviting the person to give you more information instead of like stop crying right these are the typical ones that we hear about right yeah yeah i think too you know um 
this is a little bit harder over something yeah. like Zoom or something like that. But I mean, you know, you think about all the things that you would want when you are distressed. I mean, I don't know, like, I, you know, so often we in our role are often seeing people on really bad days, you know? Yeah. You know, like in the emergency room, it's like the worst day of their life or whatever, you know, it is. And um, it's obviously harder to do in like a virtual kind of setting, but still like, I think, you know, I think we've all had times when someone said like the right word semantically, but then their body language, their eye contact, something about it was just very dismissive. And you got the impression that they, they weren't listening. They weren't hearing, right. you, even though they were saying the right things, you know? That's a really important point. Um, and so that's that connection where you, you definitely are communicating through your body language too. Yeah. Um, and how do you be curious and how do you show that, right? Is that showing eye contact? Is that getting on their level? Is yeah. that giving them space, right? Like it is, it is a complicated dance, actually. It's not as simple as maybe, especially if it, if it kind of falls hollow to the other person. Right. You're just like, I see you're sad. Like, right. I love when I get parents that are like, I'm like, um, yeah, we're going to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I tried to say. And I know it's because like, they probably weren't validated. So it feels, it, it feels like false. Like they right. feel like they're being soft, right? I get this a lot. And I'm like, is that being soft? Or is it just being attuned to the human being in front of you, right? Yeah. It's, and, and what's wrong with being warm? Mm-hmm. Why are we so like opposed to that? Like what, why does that come up for you as something you don't want to be, right? Warm, right. inviting, open. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Then, then it's like uh, parents are starting to get into their own histories and yeah. how they were raised and it's, you know, and some, some, you know, some are quite resistant to that as I'm, you know, I'm sure you <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm not the patient here. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, some of the, um, uh, the, the folks that are, um, I've seen do, do this really well, they didn't really say a lot, you know, at all. I mean, they, they may have said one or two words, but the way yeah. they kind of said it and the, the kind of the tone of voice they did and the, you know, uh, their body language, you know, conveyed everything that they couldn't, that they, they weren't saying, you know, but they were conveying in another way. Right. Um, and I think for parents, um, too, like sharing their own vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, and maybe, and I, I don't know why I'm stuck on parents today, but even partners, right? Like yep. a way to validate is also to like match the vulnerability of the other person a mm-hmm. little bit and maybe not make it about you, but also share something like, I, you know, I was also, I remember being so mortified when I said, I love you to my first crush. And they were like, yeah, not yeah. really how I feel about you. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and like that crushing feeling, like try to relate to and match their vulnerability. So they feel, I think that's important, right? I think yeah. some of us feel like, oh, well, I can't, that'll make things worse. Or like, my kid doesn't need to know that about me. And of course, be wise about the share, but if, it is an important share to be like, I've been there. I've been heart, my heart's been broken. I've been embarrassed. I've been, you know, fill in the blanks. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, it, you can't see this for the listeners, but um, uh, in this particular scene, uh, the one sister, Sabrina, is she's on the computer, like typing something at, during the same time, but she is listening. <laughs> she is listening, you know, in her own way. And, um, and they, they do, uh, they do um, make eye contact and have like an actual conversation after it, which we'll go into the next minute. But um, yeah, so that idea of listening, which, which seems like it should be such an easy thing to do, you know, validating somebody again, seems like in theory it should be easy to do, you know. So, so hard. I mean, I think of like what's happening with our country, you know, just like so many people, you know, with wanting to be right, you know, in their ideas. Yeah. And, so clearly that's what makes it even harder right you feel right. like someone's expressing themselves in a way that feels like you know either ineffective or feels a little scary they're shutting down they're showing they're angry they're being it's even harder to then validate yeah right because um, it's doing like we were talking about it's a bi-directional and then you start feeling things and you you want to shut it down you don't right. want to right. dive in but, right. but we could say actually dive in you know show in your body language show in your words that you're curious match their vulnerability maybe right. not you don't have to match their behavior but match their kind of yeah yeah and, and see where that goes right and sometimes i think it all it does is it keeps the conversation going but it, at least there is a you know it's especially if it's someone that's close to you or you know it's a patient and it's it's just a family member or something like that you know they may not really have the option of like shutting that person out of their life right. you know so they kind of have to find a way to to coexist and um so <laughs> uh well we could probably talk a lot on this particular thing um <laughs> I know, Mara, you're going to be back for future minutes, but do you have any um, other uh, last thoughts about this particular uh, segment? Um, not especially. I feel like we covered kind of the highlights of it. Um, I think, again, just recognizing how important um, attunement to, other, to people you care about, people you love, validation, um, and being curious about them without short-circuiting what's going on, even if you're uncomfortable, yeah, is, is it really, it, it can really work wonders in a relationship. Yeah, and I think for the, the folks out there who are like in primary care and yeah. that kind of thing where you have so little time, um, you know, giving, giving patients a couple minutes to just kind of talk and, and listen and hear what they have to say. Um, even though you have, you know, I obviously have a whole agenda that you kind of need to cover right. um, in the time you have. And, you know, you're watching the seconds go by and you're like, <laughs> this is not at all related <laughs> to anything that's going to be like what we need to get done. But at the same time, like you're, it's, it's building that relationship that may actually short circuit, as you mentioned, Mari, or save you time later on. So, yeah. And then I, just to, we were talking about primary care and I know the goal remember the goal that some of the things we're sharing are for those more kind of shorter primary care appointments. Something I heard in a training was that you can, um, to express if you get frustrated with what's happening with the patient because of, you know, whatever, it could be so many things, right? Chronic pain, you can't, they're not 
recovering and they're stressed out and they're frustrated with whatever we know. Um, it was interesting. I'd never thought of this, but they said, just be clear that you're frustrated that the treatment plan isn't working hmm. and not frustrated at the human being. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was like, I was like, why could I not ever, like, I've never said those words. And, right, right, right. Yeah. and it was just like, for me, like, I was like, right. Cause that's validating for both. Like they're frustrated too. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, it can feel like it's at you. Right. It, like a personal it's really like yeah. their pain isn't better. X, Y, Z, whatever. Like they're not feeling her. They're not feeling. And so if you can kind of just be clear that you're frustrated too, but it's at the treatment plan because you know, they're suffering and you're doing what you can and it's not, you're not seeing kind of the effects of what you're hoping to see. Right. So if that helps at all, I just, yeah. I found that really helpful. That is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, right. um, we uh, will pick back up uh, at minute or episode 35. Um, so uh, thank you, Murray, for joining us. Pleasure. Yeah, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. It's like okay. the podcast. All right. Okay. How was that, Josh? I do okay. That was great. Oh, was good. Awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's it. It's I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not really, uh, you know, uh, someone, I forget who it was said like, well, I'm not really an expert. And he's like, you know, as to be an expert, you're as much as an expert as I am, which is not, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. We had the same training. It's good enough for me. <laughs> right. That's right. You know, so that's good. Yeah. So well, that was time. fun. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for staying up. Uh, and um, next time we'll get Kathy in here. I was, uh, uh, we, we may, um, I don't know exactly how, uh, I think the most so far we've done in a night ends up being just two because we end up sort of just chit-chatting a lot, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that and catching up. And that's sort of the fun part of it. <laughs> um, so doing five in a night or whatever it was, like I was probably way over ambitious, but that's okay. I'll just, um, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, like what's typically a good day for you, but I can, you can certainly just text me or like whatever, like other yeah. times or days. That yeah, are Thursdays are good. I don't know if they work for you. And then I am... I am not a night person. Yeah. <laughs> and I know. So the other thing I could do, I don't know if like Sunday, like at a yeah. later, whatever. I don't, yeah. I know you guys are kind of like doing this. So I, I don't need it to be like specially catered to me. But if, if there's another option, yeah, but if yeah, there's yeah. not, I can stick to Thursdays at 1030. I was very good. I took a nap. My kids were like, mom, your podcast. They were so excited that like oh. my voice is going to be on a podcast. Oh. They were like, mom, set your alarm. You're going to wake <laughs> up at 30. You're going to do the podcast tonight. I was like, I got it. <laughs> they awesome. were, yeah. but thank you that I got like street cred with my kids. Oh, I'm like, I'm cool. doing a podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because so Jamie goes overnight at 1030. Okay. Anyway, so the opening, okay. you know if that works for you guys no well I, I think we should try to find i think we'll i don't know we'll have to try to find like a time during the day because usually what will happen as i'm sure you know like <laughs> you get doing something and then the kids need like 60 zillion things so we might yeah. just i don't know to put them in front of a movie or something or whatever because yeah. um yeah but um yeah so i'll let you know when it comes out it this is like whatever 33 so it'll it'll be a little while before it 
like it, it comes out but then we're trying to re- at least release them in chronological order okay a couple of weeks so I don't know cool it'll be so yeah all right Trish, i will text you slash email you and yeah. we'll set up um, a time for the next one i'm excited I, i'm excited about the orthorexia and the emotional eating ones yeah, I wanted to say I wanted I wanted Kathy to be on there too because I think you guys could have a good conversation. Yeah, that's that's sort of what she does, and so, yeah. All right, so good night. Thank All you right. for staying good up. And nice to see you, and I hope you feel better. Up. Will do. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye.